Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, it is always a joy to be with God's people, to hear from His Word, to sing His praises, and you guys look great this morning, so pray that it is an encouragement for your life today. Um, we have been in a sermon series this summer called Stories for Real Christ Followers, and we've been looking at the book of Matthew in the Bible. We've been in chapters 15 through 18, and actually, we will be in chapter 18 this morning, so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and find chapter 18 of the book of Matthew. We'll be in verses 21 through 35 this morning. Um, as, as you're looking through your Bibles, I did want to point out and make a note. We have an, an excellent opportunity and uh, event in the life and ministry of our church this, this next weekend. We call it Conclave Weekend. It's where all the servants, leaders, all the servant teams get together for training, encouragement, and prayer for one another. That's going to be going on all this week. Uh, just the, all the different servant teams will be spread out throughout the building and just having a good time fellowshipping with one another, being trained and encouraged in their faith in Christ. So we look forward to that. Uh, if you are serving on those teams, you will have received word from the leaders and just be praying for our time together next weekend at Conclave. Right on, I love that word. So this week, we are going to be looking at Jesus's teaching on forgiveness. In our summer series, we've, we've studied how Jesus has come to his people. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among the people of the earth. And he performed powerful miracles in our stories that we've been looking at this summer. He has been compassionate and he healed the sick. He walked with his disciples and kept them close and taught them how to live in the kingdom of heaven. And in our text this morning, Peter, uh, Jesus takes time with his disciple Peter yet again to teach him about forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven. Now there's this struggle that we all have with forgiveness. And what I mean by that is Anytime there is an opportunity for forgiveness, there's this inner turmoil. We feel either a strong desire to receive forgiveness or a, a strong desire to offer forgiveness, but then there's also this outside pressure that comes to us with the offended party or if we are the offended party or, or the offending party. We find ourselves caught between this desire, this deep desire to receive forgiveness. We all want to be forgiven for the things that we have done wrong. But all too often, we harbor a great reluctance to offer it. And that's what we're looking at this morning in our text. I don't know about you, but when opportunities of forgiveness arrive in my life, I want conditions. I want to make sure that forgiveness is successful. I want to make sure that if I am needing to offer forgiveness to someone, they meet certain standards so I can make sure that it's stuck, you know? I put all these extra stipulations around forgiveness 
But all that does is serve to confuse what Jesus teaches us about true forgiveness. But thank God we do have a good and kind and gracious Savior who does teach and show us. He demonstrates for us what forgiveness is and what it looks like. So in our text today, Peter asked Jesus a question about forgiveness. And and whether it was Peter's intention or not, his question goes to the heart of this struggle that we all have with forgiveness. And we're going to see that as followers of Christ, our lives should be characterized by a radical belief in forgiveness and a radical demonstration of it towards our brothers and sisters. Friends, we live in a time and place and culture where opportunities for forgiveness are increasingly subverted for division, for rudeness, for owning our enemies, our self-righteous posturing. In other words, we live in a culture that does not cherish forgiveness but craves vengeance. And too often we feel justified and even receive affirmation from others for this type of thinking. Forgiveness is no easy task. It's no easy lesson for us to learn. In preparing for this sermon, I I thought about my own life, times of great struggles with forgiveness, both believing in what God had done for me and offering forgiveness to those who had wronged me and even seeking forgiveness for those who I had wronged. I read through several inspirational stories about forgiveness. There's no seven easy steps for forgiveness. Before we look at God's word, Let me ask you, how much is enough forgiveness? Have you ever run out or withheld forgiveness for someone? As we look at God's word this morning, it's my hope that we would be encouraged to see that God's judgment and mercy deepen the experience and the expression of forgiveness in the lives of God's people. So Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him a very practical question related to sins committed against a brother. But what Peter does is exposes a heart issue related to how we understand God, sin, forgiveness, and one another. He really hit the bullseye. I dare say we all understand what forgiveness is. We recognize it when we see it or when we need it or when we offer it. Yet this is one of the hardest aspects of life to both give and receive. And as we walk through this parable this morning, we're going to consider three certainties of God's forgiveness that we can build our lives on and be encouraged by. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18. We'll begin in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. If only the parable ended there, what a great story. What a beautiful picture Christ has given us of the good king. Peter came to Jesus. He asked him a question that was most likely influenced by the instruction that he had received from the religious leaders of the day. Historical commentaries suggest that the religious teaching only required Forgiveness to be offered about three times for a brother who repeatedly sinned against a person. So as Peter is asking Jesus this question, his initial offering of seven times may have sounded pretty generous to him. Have you experienced the hard work of forgiveness in your life? Is there someone you feel is outside of your capacity to forgive? Are you maintaining limits on what your heart is able to do? I'm a little too hard on Peter sometimes. The, the disciples are some of my favorite characters in the gospel stories. They're constantly messing up and an encouragement for a guy who messes up all the time that good things can happen. Um, but Peter... We have the benefit of looking back. We have the full story. Uh, and, and we know that Peter, this, this interaction with Jesus probably doesn't go how Peter wanted it to. Uh, but we see in this moment a disciple coming to his teacher for help. Now, what we know of Peter's life is that he doesn't always get it right. In fact, he fails a whole bunch but he always may remain close to Jesus. And that's a good thing. And I think we can learn from Peter's example in this, especially when we start talking about forgiveness. We need help with forgiveness. Stay close to Jesus, especially when the, the situations and difficulties come. But Jesus offers a sharp response to Peter's question. The first certainty we see in our text this morning is that God's forgiveness, God offers forgiveness without limit. This is crucial for us to understand. In Jesus' response, he addresses Peter's limited understanding, Peter's offer of seven times to forgive, by essentially saying there is no limit to the forgiveness offered to a brother who repeatedly sins against you. It's almost say, I'll see your seven and I'll raise it exponentially. 
That 77 times in our text this morning, that's not meant to be a literal amount as if you could even keep track of such a thing. But this is an open-ended calculation. And to drive this point home, Jesus tells Peter a parable. Have you ever witnessed unlimited forgiveness? Have you experienced it? I'll be honest, I grew up with two brothers and we had lots of opportunities to experience forgiveness. Our battles were epic, especially on Wednesdays and Sundays. My mom is here this morning. You can ask her. She can attest to this. This is not just a sermon story. My dad was a bivocational music minister. He served at several small churches around the area. Uh, And my mom played piano for the choir. So that left three boys to their own devices on Sunday and Wednesday night choir rehearsals. It was awesome. (laughs) But as you can imagine, they had to find people to watch us on, uh, for, uh, during those times. In fact, I'm, I'm willing to bet they, they instituted a lot of the policies they have for childcare because of me and my three brothers. Um, me and my brothers, we treated childcare workers like Baptists at a potluck, just leaving nothing but empty vessels, you know. <laughs> but those people were faithful, and they were gracious to us. And every week we showed up for choir practice, they were ready to offer forgiveness for what was about to happen. And to be honest, they're a testimony. For me, each time I get to serve in the church, I'm reminded of this faithful example of people who modeled forgiveness in my life. Inexhaustible forgiveness. Because I know we exhausted them. And I, I even remember on more than one occasion being walked to the front door of, of these child care workers' homes to ask forgiveness. It's your good, good memories, um, maybe not on their side, but um, they have served the Lord uh, in, in his sanctification of my life. Um, But Jesus began his parable comparing the kingdom of heaven to a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And the first servant, we are told, owes the king 10,000 talents. So for perspective, one talent in that day was was roughly equivalent to 15-ish to 20 years worth of wages. That's just one talent. And this servant had accumulated a debt of 10,000 talents. Now, that 10,000 is not a literal term either. That is where we get the term myriad from. It's an incomprehensible sum. The amount and type, 10,000 talents, suggests that this is a uh, larger concept of money than was available uh, for the language. And it was also indicative that this was something that could never be repaid. And there are two things that Jesus reveals in this part of the parable. Jesus uses an impossible sum, an impossible debt to demonstrate 
the gap in Peter's understanding of sin and forgiveness. Little forgiveness requires no effort for this kind of debt. Jesus also reveals a king who is owed a debt that is impossible for the servant to repay, even at the expense of his life, his wife's life, his children, and all that he has. This debt could not be repaid. This speaks to one of life's toughest challenges, one of perspective. This is what Peter struggled with in his question. In this particular case, Jesus addresses our perspective of sin. It's much too small of you. It requires much more than seven steps of forgiveness. Do you have a small view of sin? Do you believe that sin against a holy, eternal, righteous God is a small matter? Notice the response of the servant when he is confronted with his debt. He fell to his knees. He implored the king to be patient. And he assured him that he will pay everything. He just needed more time. Now, no one in the parable believes that nonsense. That's the whole point Jesus is making. He cannot repay this no matter how much time he has. Our sin against God is an offense against his holiness and demands a payment. We owe God everything because we have all disobeyed his righteous decree. Don't leave here today thinking less of your sin before God. We are not talking about a few wrongs that need to be made right. We are talking about our state of helplessness and separation from God because we have disobeyed his righteous word. And Jesus continues in his parable to show us the great kindness of the king. Notice, the servant is offered mercy. Not because of his ability to pay. That's not what the, the parable says. It does not say like, okay, you can have a couple weeks and I'll, we'll revisit this. It's because of the king's pity on the servant. This is a good king. This is a kind king, a compassionate king who sees the desperation of a servant. He is a king worthy of everything. And he not only sets the servant free, but he forgives the debt. In an instant, the servant went from being sold into slavery and prison to being set free and forgiven. There are no limits to God's forgiveness that he has shown us. And essential to a deeper experience of God's forgiveness is to remember his mercy. Do everything in your power to remind yourself daily of the king who is merciful, of the servant who is incapable of paying back his debt. 
and the pity shown to him by the king. When you reach the end of your abilities, the end of your strength and and reason to forgive, remind yourself of how much you have been forgiven by a good and gracious king, Jesus. And walk in that freedom and obedience. Remembering that God's forgiveness has no limit for our lives leads us to certainty number two. True forgiveness moves the heart beyond its limit. Now in verse 28, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So in case you didn't pick up on this, the servant in this parable is hopeless and and severely hopeless at that. Jesus gave us a glimpse of what happens to a heart that becomes convinced of the limits of sin and forgiveness. It becomes wicked, hard, unforgiving, cruel. The servant's lack of forgiveness must be equated with Peter's offer to forgive seven times. That's what Jesus is trying to show Peter here. The king was willing to forgive an incomprehensible, insurmountable debt And we struggle with forgiving our brother who has sinned against us. In Peter's view, there's a limit to the amount of forgiveness required of him. There is a limit to what his heart is allowed to show others. And Jesus obliterates this notion with this parable. When we become closed-fisted or withholding or stingy with forgiveness for our brother, it does two things. Our hearts become deceived and wicked with bitterness, anger, and sin. And two, we expose our amazing ability to justify our actions based on nothing but just self-righteousness. That's what this servant does. He justifies his actions because he is owed a debt. And it's interesting, the debt that he is owed is pennies compared to what he owed the king. What does it say of a servant who thinks himself greater than the king? This servant demanded that he must be repaid. And friends, this this demonstrates for us and, and illuminates for us our greatest concern for our brothers and sisters, our fellow servants, is not their debt against us, 
but ultimately their debt against the king. When we have experienced true forgiveness, we express that to others. The limits that we hold in our heart are grown to show others the kindness that we have been shown. Quick side note here in in our text, did you notice that like everything from the point of the king's forgiveness to his final judgment here in a few minutes, everything is just a mess. And that's an encouragement for us. This business of forgiveness can get messy. It can be hard, it can be tough. I was particularly drawn to the servants who were standing around and very quick to point out the wrongs of someone else. I was honestly reminded of me and my brothers. We were very good at pointing out the faults of the other one. And they just stand there and like, man, he's really bad. I'm going to go tell the king. That one hit home too. Just a mess. But God is good. And he gives us this story. He gives us his word. He teaches us so that we can remember his kindness to us and live in light of that towards others. The king now identifies and confronts the servant and the problem. The, hurt, the servant's heart was wicked. The servant has no love for the king because he demonstrates no love towards others. This is the exact opposite of the greatest commandments that Jesus spoke of earlier in the book of Matthew, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Followers of King Jesus hold fast to the forgiveness that has been offered to us by the good king. And we honor the king by being characterized as generous with our forgiveness for others. And this is where we find lasting joy in life when we understand how much God has forgiven us through his son, Jesus. Jesus was the payment for that impossible debt. God takes that impossible debt and he offers his son Jesus on the cross. We stand forgiven because of his gracious Messiah who paid the price that we cannot pay. God withheld nothing in order to accomplish this forgiveness for his people. It cost him his only begotten son. Jesus took on the full payment for our sin and he rose from the grave to offer us forgiveness for our sin. And when we look at the cross and we are unmoved by the hardness of our hearts, we say to, the, we say to God, like the servant, we prefer wickedness. We demand what is coming to us. And sadly, we live in a world of people unmoved by God's mercy and forgiveness. We are cruel towards God and to one another. But God is kind to us. He reveals our sin to us. He reveals the debt that we owe him. And he stands ready to forgive. He is merciful. And he is calling us to live in mercy not to gain something, 
We live as people of mercy and forgiveness because we believe something about who God is and how he has forgiven us. Embracing God's forgiveness brings joy to our lives and expands our hearts beyond the limits of what we believe possible. It empowers us to show mercy to others. Does this change how you pray the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? One commentary suggests this. Every time an offense occurs, forgive. Every single time. If you do not forgive, you will never be happily married. If you do not forgive, you will never find a church you'll be content with. If you do not forgive, you will never find a group you can get along with. You will never be able to work for any company. You will spend your entire existence looking for and demanding perfection, but never finding it. Friends, this is joyless wickedness. Withholding forgiveness reveals what our hearts believe about sin and God. When we withhold forgiveness, when we place limits on what our, we allow our hearts to do, we receive the harsh standard that we hold others to. Put another way, for servants who cannot forgive, they are unworthy of enjoying forgiveness. God is good to offer forgiveness, and he is patient to help us understand his great mercy towards us. He helps empower us to live as people eager to forgive others, to live beyond the limits that we place. But there is coming a day when the full account of our lives will be due. Certainty number three of God's forgiveness. God's final judgment reveals our opportunity for belief and repentance has a limit. Let's book, look back at our text in verse 34. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There is something we need to understand about our text this morning. The words used for debt in verse 27 and verse 34 are different. The, the first time the servant's debt is called to account, the, the word used from the Greek is, is the word for loan. There is an understanding that there is time, that there will be an opportunity to pay that back. Here in verse 34, the word used for debt is an obligation that is owed now. The payment is due. There's a shift in how the king viewed what the servant owed. And what he is teaching us is that the time that we have under the sun the time that Ecclesiastes speaks about that we all share and experience, the time under the sun is borrowed time. King Jesus came to bring forgiveness and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Acts 10, 42 tells us. The wicked servant was offered forgiveness from God. 
but he continued his life in unrepentant corruption and unforgiveness. The king summoned the servant a second time and delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So a couple things that we need to understand from this, uh, this debt. There's two truths that we need to understand. One, the debt has not changed. It cannot be repaid by the servant. This is an eternal and everlasting problem that the servant has. The other reality we see confronting the servant is that he's delivered to the jailers. And the, the word used there is, is a translation of the word torturer or torment. This is speaking of God's final judgment against sin and the eternal torment of those who would reject his forgiveness. Both servants in the parable immediately fall down, pray and plead when confronted with the debt. And I agree, this is a great first step as we wrestle with the certainty of God's final judgment against sin. They had it right. We have no ability to pay this debt. We pray and we plead for mercy from the king. We pray and plead that mercy will define the activities of our lives in the kingdom of heaven. And we understand that today is the day that God has offered his forgiveness to us and he stands ready to give it to us. Do not wait. The king's offer to forgive debt does not mean that the debt magically disappears. That's not how debt forgiveness works, despite what you may have heard. The king takes on the debt. King Jesus paid our debt when he died on the cross for our sins. Jesus the Messiah satisfied the full wrath of God for all sins. And he stands ready to offer forgiveness to those who would believe and repent and receive his gift of grace. We have been offered forgiveness because of Jesus' kindness to us. If you have never trusted Jesus as your King and Savior, pray. Plead for his mercy today. Believe and look to him to walk in obedience. Do not take your life for granted. Do not think little of your sin and do not ignore the debt that you have accumulated against a holy, just, and righteous King. Jesus is the good king who stands ready to offer salvation.